good day and welcome to Free to be Faithful. I'm moderator Kip Allen. Free to be Faithful is a religious liberty education and awareness program created by the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod in response to increasing governmental incursions into religious life. The Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty in Washington, D.C., headed by the Reverend Dr. Greg Seltz, provides input, education, advice, advocacy, and resources in the area of religious liberty, life, and marriage. My guest today is the Reverend Dr. Greg Seltz, who is the Executive Director of the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty in Washington, D.C. Greg, welcome back to the program. Kip, it's great to be with you as always. Well, we got a lot of things going on. This has been an interesting, yes, interesting do. couple of years. And, uh, well, we're looking at things that are going on really about, are we free to be faithful? What do we have to fight? Where are we not free to be faithful? And, you know, there's a lot of those things going on. And I know that this is something that you're keeping track of. One of the yeah. things that I think is somewhat good news for us is that there's been a bit of a transformation in the court system. You've been following this, I know. Can you, uh, can you unpack that a bit? Well, it, you know, again, uh, the President Trump ran on the idea of putting, I, I guess you wouldn't, originalist is what the word would be, judicial originalist on the court, which meant that the court would stay in its lane, that the court would actually rule what the law actually says. It wouldn't legislate if it felt like the law was inadequate to the task. And and basically, he has put, uh, I think now the number is one quarter of all the judges from the lower levels all the way, well, not at the Supreme Court yet, but one quarter of the judges now um, that have been placed have been placed by him, and then they have that originalist philosophy. And I always try to tell people, it's not a conservative versus a liberal view. It's a, should the courts operate the way that they were meant to operate according to the constitutional arrangements of the separation of powers? And that's a good thing. That means that the legislature legislates, the executive branch does its executive work, and the court then does as it's uh, called to do. So that's a good thing, because generally speaking, things that start troubling our religious liberty are usually if some judge or some appellate court just decides to change the law and, and rules against something, and then we suddenly find ourselves uh, scrambling to uh, defend our religious liberties. And at least we have the courts operating a little bit more like they were meant to operate. Well, originally, the government was supposed to be divided into three branches, legislative, which would enact law, the executive, right. which would enforce and set policy, and then ju the judiciary, which would rule on whether the laws were correct or not. What we're seeing now, for example, regulatory agencies, we're having a case right now, uh, regulatory agencies, unelected, neither part of the, uh, and really not part of the branches, suddenly deciding that the language of a law, in this particular case, Title VII, the uh, Civil Rights Act of 1964, where the wording right. sex specifically in 64 meant man and woman. Now, apparently, this regulatory agency has said, well, actually, we think it should include such things as sexual orientation and gender identity. So now this is going right. up to the Supreme Court to make a determination here. And as you pointed out, not just lower courts, but this unelected bureaucracy has been reinterpreting well, that's another, law. That's another issue. So, I mean, the first issue is that the, the courts themselves got out of their lane. I mean, people don't understand when we talk about Roe v. Wade or we talk about Obergefell, which is the gay marriage issue, most of us are just saying it was bad law. You know, we have legislatures who are supposed to write those laws, and, and the court isn't supposed to just create 
a right or create a, a law out of whole cloth. And that's what they did in both those cases. So we're actually arguing that those are just bad laws. They should never have been made by the Supreme Court. And the legislatures are meant to do that. And, of course, the federal legislature never has done those kinds of things. So, you know, that's the first problem. And I think by putting the originalist judges on the bench, that solves that problem. Then you've got the other problem is you have an incredibly growing bureaucracy in in Washington, D.C. and around the country where you have agencies that are not elected and that that endure through all uh, administrations they begin to write the rules or create rules on their own. And what President Obama actually did that was very destructive, but it, it was done kind of behind the scenes and not with a lot of fanfare, is he expanded the notion of sex, just by government fiat, to mean everything from sexual orientation to, uh, you know, to um, LGBTQ and all the different things that are there and all the different relationships. And so suddenly the word uh, you know, man or woman, individual before the law became relationships, behaviors, and all these things now were federally protected. But nobody ever voted on these things. No one has been held accountable to these things, except for the fact that these agencies now have power to come and put you out of business. And so that's the next issue we're going to have to deal with is these unelected bureaucracies, which are growing. And this is happening in states uh, where they're starting to just create these new definitions kind of behind the scenes. And then they're sending out government agents to do all kinds of things from not certifying you to maybe, you know, you know, holding you accountable to regulations that that you need to maybe launch a ministry. You suddenly won't be able to get those things, those permissions and all those kinds of things are ways to actually stifle speech and stifle religious liberty. And so we're, those are, that's, those are two fronts. One of them is the legislative front, keeping them in their lane. The other is this, this agency stuff that's just growing by leaps and bounds. And that is going to be a challenge. And the agencies, as, what they're actually doing are making regulations and rules, but they actually have the effect of law. Yeah, well, I mean, just think, of, to use a, a more of an innocuous example, the EPA. Suddenly they can just decide what your car is supposed to you know, put out, and, and they can start to actually tax you if you don't meet the, their regulations. They can put companies out of business if they don't meet those regulations. They can force you to actually produce products that you may not want to buy just because they've got that force of regulation and taxation. And, and that's what's happening around the country with agencies. Now, you know, it, maybe it's one thing with your car, your automobile, but it's a whole other thing when you're starting to talk about your speech and your ability to practice your religion openly and honestly and, and your ability to transmit your values to your generation or to actually do ministry outside of the church, like with adoption agencies or um, work with, with uh, people in crisis. Suddenly, if we don't meet their definitions of all these uh, regulations, we, we're put out of the public square in a, in a very meaningful way. Well, that leads to another issue, and uh, we've seen this uh, problem with, with foster families, with, uh, with the placement of, of orphans. The uh, Trump administration is working to reverse an anti-religious decree, and which discriminated against Catholics, evangelical Prost, uh, Protestants in the adoption process. And we have seen a number of instances where uh, states where or locales where there were adoption agencies set up suddenly will tell the Catholics or the Protestants that, well, you can't be in part of this, uh, this adoption process because you will only place children with married couples. And we feel that's discriminatory. Right. 
See, what's what's so strange to me, and and not only that, and the children that are affected by this, they just go back into the foster system. You know, everyone says, well, they'll still have plenty of people to adopt. That's not true. A lot of times when they shut these these Christian-based agencies down, there's no secular agency there to replace it. And so more and more of the children just could get put back in the system. And so, again, this really isn't about what's best for children. And one of the reasons why I think this is so, I don't know, it's not, it's silly in a way, because we're basically saying equal access. If it's kind of like I wrote a paper that said, why do, why does every deli have to be kosher? You know, to use a little bit different way of getting at this, you know, you, you have a kosher deli, you have a non-kosher deli. The point is, is that as long as there's the ability for you to choose, you have, you have access and you can actually find someone who will service you. This is not an issue. Well, it's the same thing with adoption agencies. There's plenty of adoption agencies that will grant adoptions to those of same-sex couples. But those that are motivated by the, the Christian view of marriage, they restrict that because, A, we still know it's the best thing for a child to grow up in a male-female household that loves them. That's still the, the psychological data. But the point is, is that uh, this doesn't limit the access of gay couples to finding adoption, people to adopt. So, again, the question is, what's this all about then? And it's about ultimately shutting the Christian worldview out of this whole discussion. And, and that's something we've got to fight for because we're motivated by faith to actually help other people. And our view on marriage should not prevent us from doing that. Now, my understanding is, is that any Christian adoption agency that has been approached by a same-sex couple, it's not just that they say, well, we can't help you. What they will do then is refer them to another agency that can so it's not like, exactly. they're, yeah, they're not, they're, they're not forcing, they're not saying these kids, these uh, people cannot adopt. See, and that's what, that's what's so frustrating about this. People think that we're actually the ones saying, you know, no, and we're actually helping them to find uh, another agency that can help them. So, you know, uh, like with the Kate case with uh, Phillips and that, th- there's something about this that's a bit more nefarious because they're actually targeting people. And as soon as those people say no to them, then, then here come the lawyers and here come the lawsuits. Uh, that's happening with the funeral home case, the, the Harris funeral home case. Same kind of thing where, you know, it just suddenly, it, it's one of these things where people are saying, let's target this place and see if we can make a national federal issue out of this when people are just trying to be faithful to their convictions and even faithful to their employees. So again, it's, it's, it's really hard to understand uh, to, to make people understand how nefarious this stuff really is. There's, there's more to it than uh, equality under the law. They're actually trying to shut down opposing voices in a really meaningful way. But my biggest problem is, and it, it, they don't care who it really hurts, because the children are thrown back into the foster care system, or how about with education? If we argue for uh, educational freedom and parental choice, I've seen them closing down parental choice situations that we knew were actually helping minority kids and, and kids in need. And it didn't matter that those kids just got shoved back into the public system. So, again, we're actually fighting to expand the ability to help folks. And as long as people have access and we even help refer them to things, we're saying, why can't we just live in peace with this kind of stuff? Well, I've seen argument after argument by, uh, by, by gay activists saying that, well, what we're doing here is we're punishing the children by not adopting them, letting them adopt into a loving family. But the way I'm looking at this is that it seems to me that these people hate the uh, concept of biblical marriage more than they love children. And again, when you start to ask these questions about what do you define what you mean by the best thing for the children, first of all, again, 
they can, there's plenty of children out there to be adopted, and there's other agencies that will service their needs and the needs of the children that they have under their care. But when it's all said and done, the, the data is still the data. Children generally do best with their moms and their, fa- their moms and dads. That's just the way we were built. And uh, a, a male and a female love is still something that it, that's ultimately the best for children. But of course, that's not always possible for every child. So there are other agencies that are uh, available to help those children uh, with the particular couples that desire that. Again, the question is, are they actually being thwarted from adopting children? The answer to that is no. There are certain people that say, according to our conscience, we cannot uh, have our agency participate in that. Well, one argument I've seen that is uh, very short-sighted is the idea that, well, we are specifically targeting LBGT people. But that's not true. The biblical concept of marriage is a man and a woman who are married. For example, Catholic right. services and another, other services, we, the Lutherans, for example, would not adopt out to a cohabiting straight couple. They have to be married. Exactly. And, you know, when you talk about this, what's so amazing about this, this whole sexual libertinism uh, that's being hoisted on our culture uh, no one talks about what it's doing to our culture, whether it's the sexual diseases, the divorces, the illegitimate children, all the different things that are happening just because everyone is saying, I have the right to do as I please. And again, I'm not saying we practice all this stuff perfectly, but we know God has a standard that we're called to reach to. And one of the basic standards is if you're going to have sexual relations, you do it within the context of marriage. And then you also honor God by caring for your wife, caring for your husband and caring for your children. And a society can then be built on people who are committed to that. Well, to us, that limitation of of one's sexuality is harnessing a very powerful thing for societal good. What we're seeing what the people are arguing against us is that they think everything should be sexualized and everyone should be able to do as they please. And to say that that's not going to have destructive ramifications whether it's men to women, men to men, women to women, men to, and women to children, you know, the list could go on about how destructive and, and corrosive this can be. But all we're saying is we've got this view, we're trying to live up to this view, and we're trying to honor this view for the sake of all that are under our care. And there's no reason why we shouldn't be able to try to live up to that particular view because it, it's challenging us too, as well as, like you said, uh, others outside of our community. Well, I have a neighbor who has a um, sign in uh, the lawn that says, we believe that love is love. And my response to that, I haven't told him this yet, but the response is, yeah, but you know, I bet the North American Man-Boy Love Association says the same thing to justify pederasty. Well, (laughs) but the problem with even such a sign is it really doesn't mean anything. Love is love. What do you what do you mean? Is there truth to love? Is there commitment to love? Is, Is it just an emotion? Is there, you know. The idea that love is love means that anyone can define anything in that sentence. And it means, you know, it means everything to everybody, which means it means nothing when it really matters. And so what we're saying is, yeah, love, love is love. But sometimes love says no. Sometimes love says yes. The question is, how do you know when love does that? And, of course, we say that the, that Jesus Christ and his word is, is and even the moral structure uh, that's in the universe itself, as well as in each particular human soul, begins to help us understand what we mean by love. There's a morality to love. There's an ethic to love. There's a sacrifice to love. And, and again, just to say everyone gets to love whoever they want, whenever they want, however long they want, that to us is not love. So 
Yeah. So it's, you know, again, we're not saying what, what we're not saying is we just don't want the government telling us to how to define love. <laughs> and that's exactly what they're doing. Well, one thing that they're doing is I think they're mistaking sex for love. And right. they're they're bringing that down now, even into the sexualization of children. I mean, there are things going on in the schools now that I read about. I'm just appalled at everything from drag queen library hours for pre for for grade school kids, sexually explicit mm-hmm. books that are given to uh, to young children, uh, the actual teachings of uh, of everything from gay sex to anal sex to. Uh, Oh, the whole thing on the on the young children. They are sexualizing yeah, kids you, who, who aren't old enough to know what the it, heck I mean, it is. And, and what we know is that the human brain, you know, and again, this goes back to science, too. We, the, the human brain doesn't stop being formed till about 25. So it, the, the idea of suggesting what a child should be sexually when they're in before puberty is is abusive. You know, there's a certain sense where that child just needs to be a child within the loving confines of their family. That's one of the reasons why God, you know, created male and female so that they could extend the society by having children and that they would protect those children and they would raise those children. Well, when you start sexualizing those children before they're even hitting puberty and you start to actually talk about, you know, beta blockers and and puberty blockers and even talking about emasculating little boys and things like that before they're even gone through puberty. And then you start to think, and why are we doing this to, to, to our children? It's because we say that every relationship is supposed to be sexualized. Uh, and, and again, that's a, a kind of a new way of looking at life. And we're, we understand that sex is a very powerful thing. It's a very beautiful thing, but it also needs to be directed and it needs to be uh, dealt with in a, in a way that honors those that we're in a relationship with. And just to make it like recreation is, is, is one of the worst things you can do for intimacy. It's one of the worst things you can do for your self-esteem. And so, again, these are the kind of things we're up against. And if you think about drag queen hour, I, I just saw that one the other day. You know, this is not what, you know, if, you're, if a little boy is looking at this drag queen, that drag queen is giving him an image of what a woman is. And most women are saying that's not what we are. And, and so even the reflection of a woman in a drag queen's costume s- confuses a child in a way that is not healthy, especially when they're not even, you know, in eighth grade or ninth grade or even uh, 16 years old. So we have all these rules to protect children 16 and under. And yet we're, we're throwing open these things to them when they're in grade school and they have no capacity uh, to really even understand what's being told to them. So, yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on. And again, what we're asking for is let us have the freedom, not just to opt out of this. Let's ha- let us have the freedom to take our resources, parental choice, and go to a place that can that can teach my child reading, writing, and arithmetic, and has a healthy moral structure to their life so they can handle what's coming uh, down the pipe in the 21st century. So that's another thing we're arguing for. This time we're just saying let us have access to these things because we have a right to have access to these things uh, that are consonant with our worldview. We've also seen uh, cases, uh, for example, I've been following a court case down in Texas, where a woman decided that her son, at the age of three, was actually a girl. 
And I don't know if you've been following this case. This thing's gone up through family family uh, family uh, court down in Texas. Where the, where the husband finally won some custody back? Yeah, that's the, yeah, yeah, that's the one. That's yeah. the one. Where the mother yeah. actually had sole custody. Well, not sole custody, but sole responsibility for the kid's upbringing. And dressed him in dresses and named him Luna and enrolled him in school as a girl. And, you know, the funny thing about it is... What, People don't, you know, even the fatherless homes that we have today, the, and again, this is a crisis of our own creation. For the 60s, it was almost unheard of in our culture to have children grow up without their fathers in the house. Now it's 70 to 80% in some communities, 60, 50, 40%. And it, it's black, white, Hispanic. I mean, everything's on the rise. Well, again, that means most kids are being raised only by their mothers. And so there, there comes a sense where if you don't have a father who tells a boy no, in those times when he's 13, 14, 15, and he's got testosterone pulsating through his body, he doesn't understand anything called limits. He doesn't understand anything called respect for authority. And he just kind of can do what he pleases unless somebody physically stops him. And if you don't have a father who, who gives an image to her daughter, to the daughter that says, here's the kind of man you should look for strong he cares about his wife and he cares about his family then she's apt to look for love in all the wrong places too and this is what we're seeing all over the country especially in our cities and again we created this the sexual liberty movement of the 60s and the policies that undergirded this literally exploded this on our culture and so when you see this kind of stuff happening it shouldn't shock you then when kids kids are actually nothing more than experiments for school systems or even for people themselves. Let's see what my child can be if I want him to be a little girl. And boy, that's really destructive. It really is. And I've seen a situation. In fact, I read a, a, a survey not too long ago that said in the African-American community, the majority of children that are born are born out of wedlock to single family homes. Right. And uh, now we're seeing in school systems where kids cannot be disciplined. You know, if they're disruptive, if they... And, yeah, and because we all remember what, what it was like to be disciplined at school, because, I mean, pretty much all of us boys got in trouble somewhere. Oh, yeah, and then we the got line. home, um, and then we went home and really yeah, got into trouble. That's exactly right. And you always, it was when your father came home and said, what did I hear happen to you at school? You know, because that's just, that, that's just the dynamics of, what it, of masculinity and femininity and how they, they relate to one another, how they need to learn to understand each other's uniqueness as well as to understand each other's str struggles. And, you know, these are the kind of things that, that kids are growing up, they have absolutely no association with these things. And then they just run into a, an authority figure who says, you aren't going to do it. And they say, make me. And it's pretty tough to, to actually run a school system if you can't even get the kids to actually focus on what you're trying to do. And you can't remove the disruptive ones from the classroom. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of these things, all we're saying is give us an opportunity to demonstrate that what we're trying to bring to the community will bless the community. So we're not just asking for the state to protect us. We're saying give us the ability to to exercise our religion in a meaningful way. And I think we can demonstrate why the way we think about these things or the way the Bible talks about these things is really a blessing. I'll give you an example. You know, people say today we have individual rights. We've got to fight for individual rights. And then I tell them, first of all, individual rights are a radical new way of thinking about politics. And it came from a government that said, you have these rights because you were created by God. 
well, I keep hearing that all these kids want to just leave the church. They don't care about the church. They don't think God is necessary. Oh, I got news. If suddenly God has no meaning in our culture, uh, or, you know, let's say that's around the corner, your individual liberties, you'd be surprised at how quickly the government could convince you to just give everything over to them, and then you'll find out exactly how free you really are. So the kinds of things we fight for, biblically, we really believe bless the community, even those who disagree with us. So all we're asking the government to do is let us be who we've always been. Well, one argument I have heard, not to get too political, uh, is there's been criticism of Christians for supporting President Trump, who is a deeply flawed individual. I think we can all agree on that. And they say, well, gosh, you got to be hypocrites for supporting this guy. However, I keep thinking of the Old Testament where God even said Nebuchadnezzar of Assyria is his servant. Yeah, or... You know, the Persian king was also his anointed, you know, to bring them back. I guess the question I always say is compared to what? Because when you talk about when you talk about a candidate, um, we're asking the question, what do we want the government to do? And honestly, we don't want the government to do very much for us. We want the government to basically get out of our way. That's basically, you know, we know that there's a level of government that's necessary for our own uh, for us to live together, but we sure don't want the government making all the decisions about our health care, about our who should we should marry, who we shouldn't marry, all these kinds of things. And uh, when you look at what Trump does, Trump actually honors those liberties. Now, if you're going to compare his personal character, then I just say, oh, okay, compared to what? You want to talk about President Clinton and the things that he did to women while he was in office? Do you want to talk about, uh, I don't know, you can just, you can name all kinds of candidates. And I can tell you there are people that are just as narcissistic as he is or, or, or have done some, some crazy things. The things we asked him to do, at least from religious liberty point of view, protect life point of view, and also give kind of get the government out of the way so that people could actually raise their children, start their own businesses and actually make a life for themselves. He's been very good at that stuff, and, and no one's talking about it, obviously, because of some of these other issues. I'd also compare him to some of the people that are attacking him right now. They're not the greatest characters uh, either, and I think once we start to see that, we'll just realize, though, we've always realized, don't put your faith in the government. And if you elect someone that gets the government out of your way, uh, all the better. Well, we're coming to the end of the program, and uh, your organization, you're the head of the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty, and you are keeping an eye on the pulse of the nation through D.C., working with Congress, working with uh, lobbyists, working with opinion makers. How can people get in touch with you and learn what the what uh, the center is doing? The best thing to do is go to our website, lcrlfreedom.org. It's a, it's a great place for all kinds of information. But just understand why we're here. We're not here to, to politicize the gospel. We're here to use our First Amendment rights to actually keep proclaiming the whole counsel of God. So we're protecting our schools, we're protecting our churches, we're protecting our preschools, our, our universities. And unfortunately, that protection is, is necessary now more than ever. Interesting times we live in, Greg. I want to thank you for being on yeah. the program. and. I'm sure we'll be talking again in the not-distant future. There's a lot happening. Keep up the good work, Kit. You've been listening to Free to be Faithful, produced by Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. 
Thank you for listening and supporting Free to be Faithful on Worldwide KFUO.